Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. The former Trump appointee, National Security Advisor, Flynn, made some remarks regarding President Obama going back to December of 2015. And he said the following, quote, I think that they did not meet a narrative the White House needed. And I'll be very candid with you, they just didn't, end quote. This again from retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. He was ever so briefly uh, director of the Defense Intelligence Agency and the National Security Advisor uh, for a blink. (laughs) But here's a man who committed the crime of being entirely altogether too blunt, too undiplomatic, and of saying some things that were just extremely upsetting to certain people. But to go on with what he said, quote, I think the narrative was that Al-Qaeda was on the run, Osama bin Laden was dead, They're dead and we've beaten them, end quote. This was with reference to then-President Barack Hussein Obama dismissing ISIS. You know, they're the JV squad. Okay, they're just, you know, they're a bunch of flunkies, amateurs, incompetent, irrelevant, immaterial. No need to be concerned about them. Of course, since then, uh, they <laughs> were permitted, enabled, empowered to take over great swaths of territory. And in some cases, they have finally been beaten back after waging a reign of terror. But they continue to rain down terror around the world. And there are those, a great many of those, on both sides of the aisle, in Congress, if you will, throughout the political spectrum, throughout the political parties, the major political parties, and others, who insist that these actors, if you will, ISIS, ISIL, Levant, and so forth, that they are an aberration. They and Al-Qaeda and all of the other sordid groups, whether it's the Muslim Brotherhood or whether it happens to be Hezbollah or Fatah or whoever it is, whatever names they care to go by, and they go by all kinds of different ones, Al-Aqsa Brigade and what have you, that all of them are aberrations. All of them are extreme 
minority splinter organizations that completely reprehensibly pervert Islam. They have hijacked Islam. That peace-loving concoction created by that dear prophet Muhammad with his self-fulfilling Quran and his other writings of which he was the sole author if you for a moment remove the actual mastermind from it that was known as, still is, known as Allah. Allah is a lie. Allah is another name for Satan. But Allah was the mastermind, is the mastermind. Muhammad was his mouthpiece and his man on the ground, his boots on the ground, his terrorist on the ground. And all of ISIS and all of Al-Qaeda and all of these others put together have not committed as much terrorism as dear old Muhammad personally did himself and other later enlightened ones like Yasser Arafat and so forth. Hasn't kept them from winning Nobel Peace Prizes, mind you. But, no, the narrative that our former Islamist-ish president, Barack Hussein Obama, and his CIA director, Brennan, who converted to Islam instead of that vile Christianity and so forth, The narrative that they wanted was that they had finished off Al-Qaeda by taking out Barack Hussein Obama's number one most wanted Osama bin Laden. Well, the fact of the matter is, taking down Osama bin Laden was the achievement of what had been done in the years preceding Obama taking over and continued during his presidency. Interestingly enough, curiously enough, monstrously enough, so very, very, very many members of SEAL Team 6 have since been murdered. Uh, Just, hey, these coincidences happen. What can I say? And um, the circumstances have been curious, mysterious, remarkable, but I shan't go into those today. I will save that for another time. I will resist the temptation to talk about those. Well, 
Retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, he needed to be disposed of politically, eliminated from the fray, taken down, and so he was. And it was interesting the way it was done. It was uh, not a whisper campaign, but <laughs> uh, nonetheless, it was a... Uh, Seemingly, greatly, a propaganda campaign, um, but very successful. And so he's been gotten rid of, and various other ones are being removed. But prior to Barack Hussein Obama, ISIS was non-existent. Barack Hussein Obama saw fit to cancel and void all success that was achieved in Iraq and Afghanistan and to create a vacuum, create a void which these various different vicious, ruthless, monstrous, murderous Islamists were only too happy to fill. Now, unlike the likes of President Trump and former President Bush and former Vice President Dick Cheney and so on and so forth. I was staunchly opposed to us going in with boots on the ground over there and to do anything more than to pursue and take down Osama bin Laden. Why? Well, it wasn't that Saddam Hussein wasn't evil. He was. And his chillins, his boys, Uday and Kuse, were vicious, sadistic, monstrous destroyers like himself. But chips off the old block. It's not because I believe in the same philosophy as George W. Bush's daddy, George Herbert Walker Bush, who has been a globalist, a global elitist, uh, going back ages, back to when he was CIA director and so forth. No. But it is because it would accomplish no good for the free world And it would accomplish no good in Iraq and Afghanistan for the people there. And it would endanger, it would weaken, it would endanger our military. It would weaken our military by consuming our military provisioning. It would do harm to our military by inflicting terrible suffering, casualties suffering on American servicemen and their families and loved ones. And worst of all, what I was concerned about was that it would enable, it would give opportunity for America's most powerful enemies to attack the United States of America 
very grievously while the United States of America was overextended abroad. And very vulnerable to attack. Now, that hasn't happened yet. I'm not talking about some Islamist terrorist attacks. I'm talking about major players, major enemies of the United States of America, such as former Soviet Union, Russian Federation of dear Vladimir Putin's, and communist, bloody red China, and so forth. But Fortunately, that hasn't happened. But the same brilliance, the same patriotism, the same godliness that was responsible for causing this rising of Islamists, courtesy of our former president, has been responsible for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade, ad infinitum, for destroying any semblance of a just, righteous, godly justice system in the United States of America. For emboldening the evil, the destroyers, to destroy and to do so with impunity, that they would know that they could get away with virtually anything with impunity. The same horrible anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-humane leadership that was responsible for the one has been responsible for the other has been responsible for the culture war in the United States of America that's been waged to corrupt and pervert the young and the not-so-young, to legalize evil and to criminalize good, to reward the evil and punish the good, instead of restraining and punishing the evil. And it has been going on for more than half a century. (laughs) Going on considerably more than that, but especially effectively during the past half century. But crime and punishment. Crime and punishment. Dostoevsky's crime and punishment. It's not crime and rehabilitation, even though it would be good. It would be preferable if criminals, meaning those who commit crimes, would be rehabilitated. But going back, going back a couple millennia and more, and more, What was supposed to be done, what was supposed to be the duty of the rulers, of the governments, was to punish and eliminate 
the destroyers and prevent them from continuing to commit such evils. The reason for government that I've referenced before, the reason that there are governments, is to provide for common defense. Defense against enemies domestic and foreign. To provide for protection against vicious, ruthless, murderous gangs. And individual destroyers. And vicious regimes and empires. Murderous. Islamo-fascists, fascists, socialists, communists, all of whom come under the umbrella of socialism. I know, I know it's supposed to be uh, mutually exclusive from Islam. But if you look around the world, you'll find that it's not. You'll find regime after regime that, interestingly enough, you have this commingling of Islam and communism. It's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to work that way. You have nations like mainland China, which I refer to as communist China, which really has been a controlling party, controlling interest of Pakistan, and yet the United States has also tried to work with, ally itself with Pakistan. Going back to the U-2 spy flights that were launched from Pakistan on up to the present day. Well, they're our ally. Well, they're our ally, but they're communist China's satellite. And yet, then there are various Islamists in China who have committed terrorist acts against the communist regime, it's very confusing. But you look around throughout Central Asia and you find nations like Kazakhstan and the others in that realm where you have a mixture of Islam and communism. And they, you could say, peacefully coexist. (laughs) They work together to harm Christianity and Jewry. But you find the same in Africa, in various regimes, vicious, ruthless regimes. Well, here in the United States of America, where regardless how dim a view you take of how things were 100 years ago or 150 years ago or 200 years ago. There was greater justice then than there is now. The justice system was less perverted and corrupted then than it is now. As imperfect as it was then, as imperfect as people were then, it is worse Now, in these enlightened, progressive times, it is worse now. 
and vicious, ruthless, murderous destroyers commit heinous crimes with virtual impunity. If and or when they are tracked down, they are caught and tried, then of course we see to it that they are afforded the most sophisticated defense, not dedicated to getting at the truth, to determining whether they are guilty or not. No, 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 no. We are far beyond that. Instead, these sophisticated defenses are intended to prevent the destroyers from being convicted and prevent them from being punished. And should they be convicted, to prevent them being punished. And if they are punished, to prevent them being punished as they should be punished, but instead to be incarcerated for some period of time. Perhaps even life. But of course, even life without parole doesn't necessarily result in them being incarcerated for life because they might be released because of overcrowding in the prisons. They might be released because of clerical errors. They might escape. There might be prison riot or there might be specific individual targeted escape. All manner of things like this. But especially if it's not life without parole, then they come before the parole boards. And after they have paid their debt to society, you know, it's this fiction that we've created, that there's a debt to society. And once they've paid that, then it's society's responsibility to release them and look after them and care for them and provide for them and what have you. It's very enlightened. It's very modern. And it's terribly blind and insane and destructive of justice. And it grieves monstrously the families of those who have been destroyed. It destroys their families. And something more. Within the Old Testament, which is as valid as the New Testament, it is stated that those governments, those nations that refuse to avenge the taking of innocent blood, that they will be overthrown, violently overthrown. So when our justice system is perverted, is corrupted, is undermined, is subverted, is destroyed, and the evil are not punished, are not put to death, 
the blood is not avenged, and all of the innocence and all of the good and all of the kind and all of the merciful and all of the honorable and all of the harmless and all of the helpless are put in jeopardy of suffering destruction from the whole nation being punished. I know that sounds terribly arcane, archaic, and all of that. It just happens to be true, however. I mentioned before, I believe I did, I may be mistaken about that. In case I didn't mention it, I'll mention it now about these two girls, 13- and 14-year-old girlfriends, who were dropped off by a family member on February 13th of this year so that the girls could take a little hike. Well, it wasn't long before these two girls, Liberty German and Abigail Williams, were murdered. And this took place in Delphi, Indiana. Delphi, not like going back to Greece. This is uh, Delphi, Indiana. It's all American, as apple pie and what have you. And these two precious young girls... There's not much that's stated with regard to their deaths, such as the cause of death and so on and so forth. But they were murdered. In all likelihood, they were raped. And again, this is just a commonplace crime in the United States of America. Commonplace. An occurrence that happens daily across the United States of America. As long as people live, as long as people have lived on this earth, murder has taken place. As long as people live on this earth, murder will take place. However... There is such a thing as restraining evil, restraining violence, punishing destroyers is what's required in order to restrain violence and restrain evil. Nothing else will do. That is the only thing that will keep it down, that will tamp it down, as in fact, and this is a, a poor comparison, I know, But as, in fact, you find in these Islamist nations that were formerly ruled by these evil strongman dictators, the likes of Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi and Bashar Assad and so forth, is that they, while they were evil and they were Islamists, of varying strains, they knew how 
how to restrain the forces that would want to overthrow them, take over in their place, and so forth. Now, they were particularly vicious and brutal and what have you, unrighteous, ungodly. That is not what we need. But what we do need is godly, God-fearing, honorable government that esteems the good and the gentle and the kind and the honorable and the law-abiding more than it esteems the wicked, the evil, the hateful, the rapacious, the murderous. But we don't have that. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. In case you joined the program after the introduction. I don't recall whether I mentioned before about the Iranian boats, speedboats that were referred to as ships, which forced United States and Royal Navy vessels to change course, forced them to. Why did they succeed in forcing the United States Navy and the British Royal Navy Ships to change course. Why is that? Well, it's because the United States Navy and British Royal Navy could not see fit to do what they should have done, which is to deal with these Iranians. But instead, they allowed them to terrorize them, <laughs> push them around and bully them. I mean, it's, it's quite the picture. You know, when's the last time you saw some Greenpeace motorboat, uh, inflatable motorboat, something like that, uh, and it's, you know, harassing some huge factory fishing vessel, typically from Japan, that is fishing within... U.S. or Canadian waters or immediately outside of them, and that is just harvesting these huge schools of fish and that sort of thing. Or that is up there in the Arctic Circle area and is slaughtering harbor seals wholesale or what have you. And with the Greenpeace, they're a little delegation and they are like these I don't know what these little, uh, I I think of uh, insects, but anyway, uh, they are just, they're kind of, or like a little dog nipping at the heels of a grizzly bear or something. And it's it's a little bit ironic uh, that the U.S. Navy and Royal Navy would let themselves be pushed around by these Iranian Ships, (laughs) Ships, <laughs> these little uh, motorboats that are like the pi- pirates down off of Somalia, off of the Somalian coast and off of the Nigerian coast now. And so on both the east and west coasts of Africa, these Islamist pirates have succeeded in waging a war of terrorism against, not against 
U.S. Navy, not against Royal Navy, but instead against shipping, against merchant shipping. And they've been permitted to. There was that movie was entitled Captain Phillips, as far as who they took captive, kidnapped. But they have been waging this war because they typically, such as in the case of Somalia and also Sudan and up and down the coast, they typically have safe harbor in nations that are barely fit to be called nations in terms of their government, their governance. And they have a free reign to do as they want. But then they've spread all the way around over to Nigeria and its neighbors, such as Chad and so forth. And, and a different situation there, but they still have been able to get away with this. And the merchant shipping has failed to defend themselves from them. Because that would just be wrong. Defending oneself is just wrong. We just must not permit one to defend oneself from these destroyers because that would just be wrong. Just like these vicious gangsters, murderers, destroyers here in the United States of America, whether they happen to be some gang operating typically in an inner-city war zone, or whether they happen to be onesie, twosie, vicious, bloodthirsty criminals attacking families, committing home invasions, kidnap, rape, murder, the whole ball of wax, or whether it happens to be individuals like, you know, the one that was referred to that was named the Night Stalker. I believe, I'm not certain, I believe his name was Richard Ramirez. I'm probably wrong about that, but it was something like that. And who did wage a war of terror until he was finally captured and tried and convicted and put in prison, put in prison where he belongs after having brutally, viciously, sadistically murdered umpty ump people. And, but nonetheless, just like Charles Manson, he, he had his girlfriends in prison, women who surf the net and they go looking for loves in the prison system. It was amazing. I, we have allowed these fiends not only to live, to exist, and we have paid more money per year to keep them alive and well than entire families across this nation have to exist on because we believe in redistributing the wealth. We reallocate it. We take it away from you and I, and then we hand it over to these others, and then we decide it's wrong to eliminate the most vicious, ruthless, monstrous, heinous destroyers who prey upon the good. It's wrong to do that. So we put them up 
in the Hyatt prison, and we, we care for them and everything, and we permit them conjugal rights, conjugal visits with women they're not married to, and we even permit them to get married in prison, and it just, the insanity goes on and on and on. And to father children to pass their DNA along, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Western civilization is just so wonderful. And this is true throughout, throughout the Western nations, what used to be referred to as Christendom. You find this throughout Europe, Scandinavia, the United Kingdom, United States of America, South America, and elsewhere. Every nation that falls under this heading or description or definition of Western nation is subject to the same monstrous perversion of justice, miscarriage of justice. This mother... I believe I mentioned this before about this young woman, young mother, Kayla Crocker, 28 years of age, who was viciously murdered, butchered in front of her toddler son. And surprise, surprise, it's affecting him. Shocker there, huh? And it was committed by this guy and this woman whom he got to accompany him. Yes, William Boyette and Mary Rice on their jolly crime wave, perhaps envisioning themselves as being Clyde and Bonnie, perhaps, but just absolute out-and-out monstrous destroyers. Incredible, but... If they, if Boyette and Rice, if they were tried and convicted, successfully convicted, in one of our more enlightened states, of which we have so many, you know, Hawaii, Oregon, California, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Connecticut, so on and so forth, Illinois, there's not even the breath of a chance of execution. Okay, not even the possibility. And then if it's in a state where they do permit occasionally execution, like for, I, I misspoke, California does still permit it. They just don't do it. <laughs> you know, uh, that, then, yes, then, then you'll read, well, they could face the gasp death penalty. You know, after they've slaughtered, destroyed multitudes of good, decent people, they could face the death penalty, but they won't. And in those cases where there is execution, where it's actually not only on the books that it actually is carried out, such as in Texas and so forth, that then it has to be done in a way that is completely pain-free. Because after all, all murders that are done are committed in such a way that the victims 
do not suffer, right? Isn't that right? The victims don't suffer. No, 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 absolutely not. No, they're never tortured to death. And when I say tortured, I don't mean some 10 seconds worth of waterboarding at a time. I'm talking about actual factual torture. No, 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 I'm never tortured to death. No, nothing like that ever happens. No, it's always completely pain-free. I uh, came across something today that pertains to that, and this was with regard to Aaron Hernandez's latest murder trial. Aaron Hernandez, former star, tight end. He was a move tight end, you know, the small tight end on the New England Patriots. And before that was a star at University of Florida. And he was a star at University of Florida when Tim Tebow was a star at University of Florida, and they had a magnificent team, all kinds of talent, and Aaron Hernandez was down there, uh, as was Riley Cooper, the receiver who was so vilified, uh, who played for Philadelphia Eagles. And I'll get back to Riley in a little bit, but with regard to Aaron Hernandez, the defense team, It's amazing. I don't know where they're getting the money because he supposedly is out of money, and yet he's got this high-dollar defense team, and they brought forward a witness for the defense, a witness. Well, what was this witness? He's a doctor. He's a doctor, and he was theorizing about how one of these whom... Aaron Hernandez is charged with having murdered outside of a nightclub in Boston that which took place before he murdered Lloyd Oden. Lloyd Oden, who was a friend-ish friend, who was very close, you could say, with uh, Aaron Hernandez's Ah, what was the relation with Aaron Hernandez's so-called fiancé, you know, his live-in lover uh, fiancé, who took his name, even though they weren't married. Uh, But her sister, Lloyd Oden, was the boyfriend of the sister of the fiancé. Unfortunately for him, fatally for him, because he was actually a good guy. But... Before he was murdered, before he was executed by Hernandez, Hernandez is charged with having murdered these two fellows outside of a nightclub. And this doctor, he was theorizing that, well, he was sure there were more shots fired than five, that there were six shots fired. There wasn't a scintilla of proof, of evidence, of anything about it, but he was sure there were six. Why was it so important to say that there were six? Because the revolver that Hernandez had held five cartridges. So (laughs) it had to be six because if there were six shots fired by the murderer, then, my gosh, it couldn't have been Aaron Hernandez. But uh, he went on to say he positioned, he brought up a fellow and he put him in a garment like one of the those who had been murdered had been wearing, 
and had and posed him in a certain way and said, well, he was shot through the front of the head here and the trajectory of the bullet went down. And meanwhile, he's holding this guy's arm out. He's having him hold his arm a certain way that makes it look like the murdered man had a gun and was shooting it. And uh, when the dear doctor was pressed on that, he said, well, you know, I, it's possible that he wasn't, wasn't armed, didn't have a firearm, and wasn't shooting it. He never, ever backed off enough to say, well, it's possible he didn't have his arm extended that way at all. But anyway, again, we have to have the most sophisticated, clever Dare I say, deceptive, devious defenses possible for these vicious, ruthless, murderous destroyers. It's so important so that they can get off, so that they can evade conviction. And if they are convicted, evade capital punishment. And if they are executed, executed pain-free. You know, there's always this terrible flap about, oh my gosh, if something goes wrong and they actually experienced some pain. Disregard the fact that (laughs) they caused terrible pain and suffering to those they butchered, not to mention to their families and loved ones and so on and so forth. But, if we executed them the way execution took place during the days of the founding fathers, when they drafted the Constitution of this nation and the Bill of Rights and prohibited cruel and unusual punishment, cruel and unusual punishment did not include firing squad or hanging. It did not. Those were standard operating procedures for execution at the time. And they were used to execute people that not only were vicious, terrible criminals, but were eh, career criminals of one sort or another. And in the case of the military, included even young Teenage boys, sleep-deprived, hungry, cold, young teenagers that fell asleep on their post. But those who have made a career out of twisting and perverting the truth, manipulating the truth, manipulating the Constitution, have succeeded, succeeded long ago in all but eliminating capital punishment, but they continue because it's not completely eliminated yet, right? Meanwhile, murder continues, vicious murder continues, monstrous crimes continue, but all but we can't put these destroyers to death. Instead, we need to put them up for life, right? Care for them better, than at much greater cost than so very many families have to afford for their welfare, for their entire family for a year. 
but I mentioned before about this white autistic boy that was murdered. Uh, the police officers who shot his father and he, uh, they were driving a Kia Sportage, I believe, which is a little SUV. I was thinking that it was a family van. It was a Kia Sportage. And uh, they fired 18 shots into it, I believe. And uh, the one fellow who was convicted, he said that he did what he did because he feared that the father was going to reverse his vehicle and run over his partner. Well, it didn't prove um, persuasive. Now back to Riley Cooper. Uh, This goes along with the wonderful stuff we have going on right now with regard to the Black Lives Matter. You know, which merely means, as a shorthand for Black Lives Matter most. (laughs) Uh, Because black lives are more special than other lives. So, well, we have an... I was going to say unspoken, but it's really unwritten rule that we shall not use this particular derogatory term or that particular derogatory term, which are stupid and which are insulting and which are making reference to the race or ethnicity of people. But there are exceptions, and that is in the case of people of color, (laughs) which covers a great swap. So in the case of black people, that they can call themselves a certain name with impunity. And do you remember the huge flap over Riley Cooper that he once used the so-called N-word? He was drunk at the time. He was at a party with a bunch of other guys, some sort of club, probably a club of ill repute. But he was raked over the coals. There were demands for all kinds of punishments to be inflicted upon him for retribution against him. He left the team, and he underwent counseling, you know, sensitivity training and so forth. And to this very day, this monstrous transgression of his for uttering this word, this slang, derogatory term, one time, is still brought up over and over. And yet, at the same time that it was being talked about, there were various different black sports commentators who were making reference to to how terrible it was, but also they mentioned about that they used the term all the time. There was one in particular, and 
I think it was Michael Wilborn. I could be mistaken. May not have been him. But he was talking about using the term all the time. He would sling it around a good half dozen times a day. No problem. But that was fine and good because, after all, he was a black man. So he had license to do that. Okay. Have you noticed that LBGT, you know, lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, their terms, that it's now been expanded. Now it is LBGTQ to include queer. That's right. They call themselves queer, but you and I can't call them queer because that would be wrong. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to.